hello and welcome to another edition of TNC's 15 Minutes of Football. Well, that's what I've been told by uh, the people above me anyway. That's how it's, that you know, this the, the crazy world we live in, it's always changing daily. Now we're now TNC's 15 Minutes of Football, 15 Minutes of Football by TNC. We decipher the most complex of footballing topics in 15 minutes or less. And once again, I'm joined by James, or Hammers. <laughs> However you want Hi to be. Everyone. Yes, uh, because James Rodriguez has certainly been making uh, an impact for Everton uh, on the day that we're recording this podcast. It's a remarkable 1-0 victory for them over, over Tottenham Hotspur. But we'll actually be looking, like, sort of nudge on the, uh, some of those results that have just gone by. But the focus of these 15-minute topics will be the four teams that are yet to start their Premier League season, waiting the wings eagerly awaiting their, their, their debuts in the 20-21 to 21 Premier League season. That is Aston Villa, Burnley, my team, Manchester City, and Manchester United. So quite a, a dichotomy in terms, of, um, in terms of aspirations there. Mm. Big word there. Dichotomy. Look it up if you don't know. Uh, so we're going to start with Aston Villa, who I think could be could surprise a few people this year. And from what I've read uh, on Twitter and from pundits, a lot of team, a lot of uh, punters seem to think that Aston Villa will be uh, going down. Uh, they've been in a lot of bottom three predictions, and I'm going to forgive those people. To be fair, James, because when I was making my bottom three, I found it very tough because. There's not as much to go on as you'd usually have in previous seasons. Teams haven't had a full pre-season. The turnaround's very quick. And I thought I was struggling. I mean, I said Newcastle would go down and they started the season with a win. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's very difficult to predict who's going to go down. But for Villa, I, I, I do think it seems to be a bit odd because this is a team that have built a bit of momentum at the end of last season, galvanising the squad when it looked like they were going one way in many people's eyes. They turned it round at the last minute, put together some brilliant, uh, resilient performances and managed to find enough to get over the line for another season of Premier League football. They've added Matty Cash from Nottingham Forest. They've added Ollie Watkins from Brentford. They're set to add Emmy Martinez from Arsenal. Uh, when this podcast goes out, they probably will have done. And they are also, as, as you were telling me before, James, uh, set for close to agreeing uh, a deal for Bertrand Traore if reports are to believe to be believed. So do you think the uh, it's a bit hysterical, people suggesting Villa will go down? They weren't on my list to go down at all. Okay. Um, Ollie Watkins is an excellent signing. He was really yeah. good last year in the championship, but uh, nevertheless, but the quality that he showed was above championship quality. And James, we said last week, didn't we, that uh, yeah. or in previous podcasts, whoever got Ollie Watkins and, and Ben Rama from Brentford, they were two um mm. two two really exciting players. And it was almost whoever gets those in, you know, they, they're gonna really benefit because they were two of the best in the championship and they thrived in an open attacking team like Brentford. Yeah. Uh um, and, and Watkins, he, he's a proven goal scorer, isn't he? And when you look at what Villa lacked last year, they had John McGinn, who's a great creator, very underrated creator, I think. Jack Grealish, also very good with his creation. Uh, Matt Target likes to get forward from left back. Now Matty Cash, who likes he can play right mid and right back, likes to get forward from right back. Um, Douglas Louise, not necessarily known for his primary creation, but a very good passer of the ball. They, got, they had a lot of players that could 
neck and open him, but no one to really finish off the chance. Mm. Now they do. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And if they get um, Traore as well, mm. uh, I haven't watched him at the Chelsea Academy and coming into the first team. He's a, he's a good player. He's a very good player. He, scores, he can score goals. He's, uh, he's also quite creative as well, quite skillful. Uh, he will improve them attacking-wise as well. So you add those two in terms of attack, and you keep Grealish, mm. uh, that's, that's a pretty decent attack. Certainly one that will keep them in the Premier League comfortably. You know, and then they've got, in the course of their signing, they're actually going to sign a decent goalkeeper, uh, which is, again, something you would need to stay in the Premier League. You, you know, they didn't really have consistency in that position last year. And, mm. uh, you know, the keeper, that I, I, forgot, I always forget his name, the, the guy they're signing from Arsenal. Emmy Martinez. Martinez, yeah, he's a really good keeper. I mean, mm. he's a really good keeper. So if they get those through the door, then they'll have no problem staying up, I don't think. Probably in the bottom half, but they won't, there won't be in any trouble. Well, no, you mentioned the goalkeeper. Initially, they signed Tom Heaton from Burnley, who was a, 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 you know, a, mm. a good signing for them. But since um, New Year's Day, he's been out with a, with a, with a bad shoulder injury. Um, yeah. And that meant that they had to recruit um, Pepe Reina on the loan deal. He was okay. I don't think he pulled up too many trees. He's, you know, at the end of very tail end of his career, twilight of his career, wasn't necessarily the um, the figure of confidence that maybe the Aston Villa defence needed. And neither was Nyland, who also came in at, at, at one point at the start of the restart. And mm. again, I mean, he, if you remember uh, his. In the first game he played after the restart, he carried the ball. Uh, the Sheffield United free kick that went to, uh, that was crossed in, he actually carried the ball over the line. VAR didn't realise that Nyland had carried the ball over the line, and uh, they got away with that. That could have been mm. a that was huge because that they oh, could have lost absolutely. that. Yeah, so so obviously, James, you're absolutely spot on. With Heaton still out, goalkeeping situation was definitely you know somewhere what needed to be improved on. And what do you think about Martinez, though? Because I mean, he's he he made his name in this in the restart, really. And beforehand, he was, you know, Arsenal's second keeper. People weren't didn't really think too much about him. But since Leno went out, I'm sure we both agree Leno's a very good goalkeeper. Everyone <laughs> thought, oh no, you know, the, who, what how's Martinez going to do? People, some some people thought he should be playing instead of Leno. So I mean, you know, what what's he going to give to Aston Villa? Because he's not just a good shot stopper, is he? He's excellent with his feet. It's going to make a big difference. Yeah, and also he's he's quite experienced mm. as well, which which is really important. You know, he's uh, got a good mentality and good character, and yeah, he's clearly a fighter because he's had to fight for his place, uh, and he earned it on merit in the end. Very vocal uh, as well, isn't he? Very vocal. I mean, it's, it's sometimes yeah, when you need that, you need I that. Mean, the sort of defence, yeah. There, there were some expletives thrown at David Luiz, I remember, in one or two games. When the volume was off, he, and I can, we can't repeat, but it, it may start with the the letter S, and mm. he was really coming into David Luiz, saying, come into position, come into position. And um, he looked a bit shocked uh, at times, did, did some of the Arsenal defence, because I don't think Leno is quite as vocal. Martinez mm. really was marshalling that defence. And Tom Heaton did something similar when he was at Burnley. Uh, he was someone who... Didn't necessarily come out too much for the ball, like Nick Pope does, but he was someone who was always barking orders to his defenders to make sure they were stood where he wanted them to be stood. So it meant that when Joe Hart came in at Burnley, for example, 
and it wasn't heating up. Oh, Joe Hart didn't come out and claim the ball uh, to take the pressure off defenders, and he didn't shout to his defenders, tell them where they wanted to be, where he wanted them to be. So it left, even though he wasn't necessarily playing too badly, it left the defence confused, not quite sure what they were doing as much. They were more reactive instead of being proactive. And, you know, I think, I think it obviously Burnley really struggled when, when, Heaton, when Heaton or Pope wasn't in goal. So, I mean, that's the, that's the uh, importance of having a commanding goalkeeper behind. I think it does the world of good to defenders. And I think that's, what, that's something that certainly Martinez could do, aside from his good shot-stopping capabilities and his good distribution uh, capabilities as well. You mentioned Bertrand Traore, James. Is there a chance that they're looking to start with him or use him in, as, a, as an alter, alternating option with Ollie Watkins? Because Villa do play as a 4-2-3-1 traditionally with Douglas Louise and Hurrihan as a double pivot. That means you've probably got McGinn, Grealish and possibly Trezeguet on the left-hand side who chipped in with some really mm. important goals last season. Do you see Traore maybe going on the left-hand side, like some strikers do with the tricks and the quality that they have? Or do you think it could be someone to say, well, we've not just got Watkins who can score goals and, and, and make things happen at the top. We've also got this other guy mm. as well. And if one of them isn't playing as well or one of them gets injured, we can, we can make that change. I think with Traore, when I've seen him, he, he can play off the right or he can play up front. So he can do both. Mm. Yeah, he's an option basically for them. He, I think he'll start a few games because he's he's good enough. Yeah, but maybe he won't start every game. Mm. Uh, but but yeah, he gives him another option. Yeah, absolutely, he does. Like if you know if Watkins gets injured or has a bad run of form or needs to be rested, then you could play him up front. If you know, and then if one of the wingers gets in, is the same. You can play them, or you, or you can just rotate. I mean, the number of the number of fixtures this season, it's quite congested. For mm. Even people who aren't in Europe, it's mm-hmm. quite congested. So you need you need those options. And he gives them that, for sure. Uh, mm. I think it's a very, very shrewd signing, actually. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, also Matty Cash from Nottingham Forest, right back or right midfielder, we imagine he's going to play at right back. Burnley would let linked with Matty Cash, naturally wouldn't pay the uh, required amount for Matty Cash. But a very good signing for Aston Villa, someone who's uh, dogged in the tackle, determined, quite quick, decent on the ball. I mean, that's an all-around excellent signing. Again, another position they didn't necessarily have, or, or another position where they felt they felt that they could strengthen. And uh, you know, that back four now doesn't look too bad. I still have a question mark about the the partner next to Tyrone Mings. We've had Bjorn Engels, who I think's mis- quite got a few mistakes in his game. We've got Courtney Howells, who um, again. I'm not entirely too convinced with, so maybe they want to look at a, a, a more uh, a stronger partner for Tyrone Mings. But you know, James, I'm looking at the whole. T- you know, I'm looking at that eleven now and a bit of the depth that they have Aston Villa, and they signed a lot last year, a lot of players. It felt a bit Fulham-esque from the season before, but now that they've all adapted, and it took a long time, as it as you as you might have expected, now that they've survived and a lot of the players have adapted. Douglas Louise being one who looks like a hell of a player now, uh, certainly a very, arguably their best player, I would say, actually, and that's a bit of a statement, but remarkably good in that double pivot. Now that most of that team's gelled and is together and they've survived in the Premier League, that can only be good going into the new season where they've not got a betting in period, where they can just play with a sense of, OK, we know what our jobs are now, uh, we know how this league works, we know how, this, how Dean Smith wants us to play. It's only going to benefit them, isn't it? 
Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it gives you a lot of. Now they've got. They're, now they're used to playing at this level. They know what's needed at this level. They know the pace, the intensity, the physicality. You know of the of the Premier League, uh, and they'll have confidence from staying up mm. uh, for sure. And they will be much more capable of staying up. Uh, yeah, especially with the additions that they've got as well. Mm. Uh, it just makes you a lot more, uh, a lot more capable of uh, staying up. Yeah, so I think I think they'll be fine, uh, and uh, and Dean Smith will have learned a lot as well. Mm. Yeah, no, he will. Uh, you know, first time managing in the Premier League is boyhood club as well. There were a few games where I think the six one at Manchester City at home sprung to mind, where they did seem to be playing out from the back and obviously that is the way for it but they looked a bit confidenceless in doing so and they were giving out giving up um easy giving away easy possession um you know and, and at times tactically they did look a little bit naive at certain points and they certainly did it towards the end when they're going up tough um so yeah i think you're absolutely right james i think dean smith will have learned a lot i think he'll still want to play out from the back uh, because of the progressive kind of manager but I do think he's also aware that, you know, sometimes you might have to go against those principles slightly when <laughs> the going gets difficult. But I think they'll be OK. I, I agree with you. Bottom half, maybe maybe not not anything about beyond that, but somewhere in the bottom half. I don't think they'll go down. Moving on to another team who's who I expect to be in the bottom half, my team, Burnley. So uh, the Burnley 15 minutes, I suppose, uh, this, we don't get it very often. I mean, in terms of, in terms of, the incoming players. Burnley's got Will Norris, who um, uh, is the third choice Wolves goalkeeper. Uh, he's going to come in and probably replace Joe Hart, who was the second choice Burnley goalkeeper. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a debate as to whether, I suppose, Will Norris or Bailey Peacock Farrell um, will take up the backup position to uh, Nick Pope. But mm-hmm. um, other than that, it's not been too. Um, eventful in, in the summer but it never is really at Burnley that's something uh, Burnley fans have become accustomed to I don't think there's uh, you know I don't think they're ever a club that looks to attack the market and make big financial statements more a club who complains about how much everyone costs you know that that's that's the yeah. sort of realities of it I guess uh, yeah. <laughs> but from the neutral point of view James what, what what do you fancy from Burnley this season just same old yeah I don't expect them to be in any trouble I don't mm. expect them to Get to qualify for Europe. Uh, I think they'll be mid-table. You know, uh, no, 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 not in any danger. Mm. Uh, I think they will recruit. They might, they might recruit towards the end of the window as well. Mm. Um, I think a lot of clubs are going to recruit towards the end of the window. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, that's still going to happen a lot. So, especially the clubs that don't have as much money, they'll mm. wait till the end of the window. Mm. So. And, and Sean Dyche has been pretty shrewd in recruitment generally. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he knows what it takes to survive in this division. He's, you know, uh, and they've kept, I think, you know, they've kept is actually important as well. They've kept Nick Pope. They've kept Tarkowski at the moment. That's, uh, yeah. That's um, you know, but there's a lot of interest in him. Mm. Uh, I very much doubt he will go to West Ham. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't. I would stay at Burnley over West Ham quite right now. Uh, I very much doubt he'll go there. If he leaves, he would go to a European club, not a mm. not a uh, not West Ham. Mm. So if they keep both of them, that's really positive. That's almost like new signings because mm. they're quality players who will improve their defence 
and make them more difficult to beat. So uh, Burnley, are, you know, as a fan of a top side kind of thing, a <laughs> Champions League side, they're, you, Burnley are never a club you like to play because they're always, they could always get a result. You know, they can always grind out a result if they, if they're on their game. So uh, I think they'll be fine. And uh, yeah, they'll be kind of mid-table again, uh, kind of bo- bottom half. Uh, and not in any kind of danger of relegation, I would think. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, I I, I sort of do agree. Um, you know, I, I, many people get frustrated with the lack of transfer activity. But, you know, it, with such a quick turnaround, I do think that togetherness and uh, squad togetherness and morale and um, the whole emphasis of carrying the momentum from last season is going to be very important. And um, you can't really overstate um, the feel goodness of the of the squad because West Ham, to me, have a squad that on paper or at least a, even a starting eleven that on paper should be getting maybe tenth, eleventh, maybe even pushing in the top half. When you look at some of the names that they have, mm. uh, Manuel Lanzini, really talented, creative player. Felipe Anderson was courted by many uh, big clubs for a long time. Bastian Haller scored. Plenty of goals for Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. Uh, Mikel Antonio is a, a player that shone during the restart. Uh, Declan Rice is a, is a, is a player that's uh, being courted by your team, Chelsea. I could go on. I could go on. The point yeah, is... The they've, point, got a, they've got a very good squad. But, but, but the point is, like I say, uh, the, 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 honestly, watching that game against Newcastle, it was, it was so draining and I was just a neutral um, to watch. Uh, a team with just any bereft of any enthusiasm when going forward. They were reduced to simply lumping the ball into the box and hoping Thomas Suchek would make a late run and get his head on the ball. It's it's an effective tactic, but if that's all you've got, then then you're worried. And they they look pretty dire uh, on that opening weekend against Newcastle. And, you know, they've got a horrible set of fixtures coming up. It's, I think it's Arsenal away, Wolves at home. Uh, Leicester away, Tottenham away, then Man City at home, and, and they've got a horrible run of fixtures. Um, and that was the one they were supposed to win, and they just looked completely bereft of any energy or any or anything really. They defended okay, but it was it wasn't anything to write home about. So the end. What I'm trying to say with relation to Burnley is that the, the, the togetherness factor is so important, and um, and it, and and what they ha- what Burnley have at the moment there, it, it's all related to Sean Dyche and. He has. I was listening to a podcast actually he did with Joey Barton a few years ago, which had missed uh, my attention when it came out. And he talks about how he psychologically um, evaluates his squad and every signing that he comes in, he wants to understand what makes them tick and how they want to operate as a footballer. He says certain players like a compliment, so he'll give them one in training. You know, he says no player likes to be ridiculed or, or shouted at or aggressively attacked, so he doesn't operate like that. Um, and he talks about keeping that uh, morale high and, and mm-hmm. adapting to the needs of his players. Um, but if he wants to adapt to the needs of his players, I think the players have to be of his kind of mindset, which means they're going to be willing to give 100% every time they go on the field. Um, they're going to be willing to, put, willing to put the bodies on the line if they need to. So he's very, um, very good at... Um, with his understanding of his places, he knows what how they work. He knows it psychologically. He knows what gets them going 
knows how to motivate them all differently individually. He doesn't see it always as a collective. We do this for all of these players. He sees it as, well, you do this for this player, you do this for that player, you do this for that player. And, the, and it's something he clearly works on and thinks a lot about. And it's not just him, it's Ian Wone and the, and the coaching staff. It's all part of the ethos, the collective ethos that relies on taking care of each individual player. Um, mm. And then, and if you can do that collectively, as well as keeping that, you know, it, it, caring for each individual player, it creates that collective ethos in itself. And I think you see that. We saw that in the, after the restart. They were fantastic with uh, some of the victories that they pulled, some of the performances they pulled off, particularly that point at Anfield. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that point at Anfield, my word. That was sensational. And it stopped uh, Liverpool uh, getting as clean sweep of victories in the league. Yeah, which yeah. is good, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, let's be honest. Yeah, and Nick Pope was phenomenal in that game as well. Mm. Made incredible saves. Well, you uh, talked about it, James. You talked about keeping <laughs> players. And I think Nick Pope is probably the key performer. We talk about, I was talking about Tom Absolutely. Heaton. Absolutely, perfectly, yeah. Mm. Tom Heaton was a leader at the back. And, he, and the difference, as we say, Joe Hart and Tom Heaton, both very good shot stoppers. Very good. Joe Hart's probably as good as Tom Heaton almost at shot stopping, but the key differential was, differential factor was, Tom Heaton could command his defence in front of him. And it made them yeah. a lot more organised. Now, with Nick Pope, he doesn't, he, he doesn't necessarily do that. He takes responsibility instead. So he doesn't shout at his defenders to be in position. He, the towering six-foot-four figure, uh, huge body frame, is always coming out to claim the ball and take the pressure off the defenders. So instead yeah. of barking orders as such, he takes it into his own hands, he takes responsibility. And it's massive. It's massive because you yeah. can have a deep block. And, you know, when teams are crossing the ball and Nick Pope's there to claim it, so it makes it very difficult for opponents to uh, break Burnley down. If you've got, for example, when Tom Heaton used to be there and there used to be a deep block, uh, it's still very effective. And Tom Heaton made sure his defence was well organised. So, it, as I say, it was still very, you know, it was still a very resilient Burnley defensive rearguard. But you could loft balls into the box in the hope that uh, that one of the opponent strikers could or, or a late runner could get the head on the ball because Tom Heaton didn't come out for as many crosses as Nick Pope does. I think there's a genuine worry when you cross the ball in against Burnley, you think, oh, it's going to Nick Pope because he collects, he, he, he collected last season almost 20 more high balls. He was most in the league, I think it was 52. And I think the next highest was about, was the high 20s in terms of high claims. So he's claiming a ridiculous amount of uh, crosses and, and balls into the box, miles more than any other one at name on the, in, on the, uh, of the list of goalkeepers on last season's statistics. He was the top of the charts in terms of the most high claims in the league, which tells you all you need to know. And as you say, James, suits Burnley down to a T because, as I say, opponents have to try and find a way usually to pass the way through Burnley because if they try and go in with the crosses, a lot of the time Nick Pope will be there to take away the danger. Exactly, that's right. You, mm. It's crucial. He fits completely with 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 your with your tactics, with mm. the philosophy of play that mm. you have. We were talking one episode about different styles of goalkeepers, and he fits. He fits with how you want to play. He's perfect for for Burnley. You know, he should. He's a very good shot stopper. And he's a good keeper, and he probably could probably could improve his um, distribution at another club. But if you keep him, that 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 helps you stay up. I mean that. Yeah. That helps you stay solid in the defence. I mean, I don't think you would go down anyway because, like you say, the spirit, um, mm. the character. And also, you, James. Yeah, that's, that's there. Is, you know, keeps, keeps you up. Also, the shape. I mean, we, yeah. you know, Burnley's lost players in the past. Uh, Michael Keane, 
Trippier and Trippier. Um, you know, and uh, and I think now definitely uh, there's a tendency as well to to lose players and well not in a not in a not in a selling sense, but Ben me for most of the restart. And what happens is the shape almost counteracts that. It's a shape that doesn't rely on defend on individual players to stand out and take the game, you know, by the scruff of the neck. It's almost like Sean Dyche doesn't want to think, oh God, if he's injured, well, we're, we we don't know what to do. We have a really big problem. I say Nick Pope's the um, the standout performer or the key man because of what I've just said, what he does, he enhances that deep look. But then even if we talk the speculation of James Tarkovsky going in, I don't think any Burnley fan watched James Tarkovsky, Tarkovsky for two, two go. He's a very, very good ball-playing centre-back. Very, very good. But if he did go, I guarantee that the system would account for 90% of that, of what James Tarkovsky did. So, yeah. you bring you in... Need for, buy, you need to buy somebody to replace him. Exactly. So, for example, uh, I mean, Callum Chambers, to me, isn't, isn't as good as James Tarkovsky as, a, as an all-round defensive player. I don't think he is. I think he's an OK player. Okay, and he seems to seems to go out on loan to various clubs and does okay. I think if he went in and replaced James Tarkovsky, I still think he's competent enough to do a job in that system. In the same way that when Kevin Long came in against um, for many of the games in the restart, he took over uh, the position by Ben Mee, or Tarkovsky did. I think Tarkovsky moved to the left and Long came in. And you couldn't really tell much of a difference. Okay, there were subtleties. He wasn't quite as good with the ball. His positioning wasn't quite as good. But you couldn't tell. It wasn't a drastic change. It wasn't anything substantial. And I think that, again, I think that accounts for it. The system that's in place at Burnley is uh, very, very good. Sean Dyche at the centre of that knows how the system works, knows how to motivate his players, knows how to create the right atmosphere in the club. He has made that system almost impenetrable. He's made an atmosphere and a, and a, um, a, and a, and a positive vibe that runs throughout the whole the whole squad. He's the centre of the football club in the same way. Jurgen Klopp's the centre of Liverpool. Pep Guardiola's the centre of Manchester City. However, I do think, uh, and this is, I think, I think, I think Burnley will be fine this season. I think any com- any conversation about transfers is a bit over the top. Uh, the need for transfers, I do think, it will come, like you say, probably in the in, towards the uh, end of the transfer window. I do think with Roy Hodgson at seventy three, uh, this will be his last season at Crystal Palace. I'm absolutely certain it will be. Yeah. Yeah, and I do think there is a very real possibility that next season Sean Dyche is the manager of Crystal Palace. Because I also agree with that. Yeah. At present, we have a system where Mike Garlick doesn't want to spend because of the coronavirus. Uh, Mike Rigg, who's the technical director, is trying to get players that fit Burnley, fit the tight risk financial restrictions that, are, that, are, that have been laid out by Garlick, and he's also and he's trying to work with those to satisfy Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche is looking at the names by Mike Rigg and saying, "Actually, I don't like these names. I want to get these players who are out of the financial restrictions." that have been laid out by the chairman, Mike Garlick. So you've got Mike Rigg, the technical director, who's a middleman who can't seem to please Sean Dyche by working to the restrictions of Mike Garlick. So, so something has to give eventually. I don't think it'll be this season because there isn't really an avenue, there isn't really a vacancy for Sean Dyche to walk into as such. And I don't think he'd want to necessarily leave the club mid-season. He has a lot of respect for the players there. Yeah, uh, I agree. Players. <laughs> However... Crystal Palace, very exciting-looking squad. Eze, they brought in, could be a very good player, looks like it's been a very good player. And they've got some, you know, they start to spend a bit of money this summer after, you know, a few seasons of not spending too much. 
I do think that it would make sense for them to go for Sean Dyche, who is a slightly more progressive manager in comparison to Roy Hodgson, but certainly not drastic enough so that the play squad's going, oh, no, what are we doing? It's too much only one summer. Sorry, Bernie. Yeah, that's a good assessment. I think, um, yeah, I think he'll be the guy that goes, I think he'll go to Palace when when next time. And I say that. And then, then Burnley will be in trouble because. And I happen- say that with tears in my eyes, James. Say that with yeah, tears. I'm sure. I would. If I was a Burnley yeah. fan, I wouldn't want him to leave. Uh, but, 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 but this season, it's okay. I think. I think it's yeah. okay. This season, yeah. This season, it's okay. It, it, it's it, yeah. Whenever Sean Dyke leaves, is going to be a crucial yeah. moment for Burnley because if they don't appoint the right person, yeah, that point they will go down. Um, so, um, yeah. but because because. Mm. Everything is so dependent on his management and his the way he's built the team spirit and the system that he has. You, know, you have um, to find someone who can carry that on. Uh, so we, that's the key. I do have a few ideas in mind, but that's a nice, that's a sad topic. But it's a nice way to end fifteen minutes. We work, which means we don't have to continue the conversation anymore <laughs> until the situation arises and when it needs to be discussed. Team number three. Manchester City, uh, quite a, again, we've gone from uh, one side yeah, of the table to the other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they are due to start their season against Wolves next Monday, or, well, yes, it will be next Monday, even when we're recording this podcast. We've had the whole Lionel Messi saga that's kind of disappeared now. I don't think anyone, everyone, I've certainly forgotten about it. I think Manchester City fans have let, have let it go as well. There's still a very real, and I stand by my uh, prediction that they will win the league, there's still a very real possibility that they can get their title back uh, from Liverpool. How much do you think that's dependent on them signing a big money centre-half? After, Even though they've signed Nathan Ake, do you think they might need to sign a Jimenez from Atletico Madrid or a Kalidou Koulibaly from Napoli? Yes, they do. They need a... Um... And it's strong character, leader, organiser, you know, commanding centre-back, you know, that they do. <laughs> I think that was obvious last season. That's what they were missing because Vincent Company left. Mm. Even though Vincent Company didn't play every game, his leadership and his, uh, off, his stuff off the pitch was just was really important to City. I mean, they missed it last year. And he played in big games and you know, it was important in big games for them. And they didn't have that last year. Uh, so. And yeah, when um, they got a centre back injured, then they were in deep, then they were in big trouble, you know. So they bought Aki, who will be a good signing for them, mm-hmm. and I think he'll do well for them. Uh, I think he'll improve with City as well. Uh, he's, a, he's technically a very good defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's positionally good. He's a, he's more vocal than he used to be, mm-hmm. uh, and he 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 wants to learn. So he will learn from working with Pep Guardiola. But they need someone like Kulibaly, yeah. If they want to win the league back, and I think they want to sign an attacker as well. I mean, they mm. signed Torres, who will be a very shrewd signing, I mm. think, to replace Sane. Mm. Basically, uh, that would be a very shrewd signing for them. He fits their style, fits their system, you know, uh, technical player, whatever. Yeah, he fits everything. He will do well. I think they'll try and find another attacker as well. Mm. I have to, um, I don't know who. Yeah, there's been talk about Yao Felix, who would be incredible if they sign him. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know who they're going for because Man City are very good at keeping things quiet until mm. it happens. So mm. I think they will sign an attacker. I think they'll sign a centre. I think they'll sign a centre back. I think they'll eventually get a deal for Koulibaly over the line. Mm. Uh, and 
they will then be favourites. And I think the other reason they're favourites is because they have the motivation to yeah because they they're, they're the ones they they've just lost their title and they won back to back titles so there's a lot of winners in that squad that's the basis of my whole argument really 196 points liverpool had in the past two seasons which effectively means they've won two league titles given the effort that they put into both and then mentally that's so taxing and draining on the players absolutely and, and i think you even saw that in a, the the goal fest that was the 4-3 at Anfield with Leeds. Um, mm. You know, it was an amazing game of football. Leeds were incredible, but there was just that lapse or lack of concentration, draw, even from the best of them, like yeah. Virgil van Dijk, who was a bit questionable at times. I mean, it's, it, they were so convincing last season. I think, I don't think, I still think they'll finish second. Yeah, but, I absolutely do, yeah. But, um, when you look at the standards that have been set and Manchester City basically... I mean, Manchester City didn't turn up for the Premier League last season and finished second. By their standards, they didn't turn up at all. They've dropped yeah, so many right. points by their standards. They're all, they've had a season where they were mentally not at it and they've had a break and they've had a chance to relax and, 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 and shake off all the, all the sort of the struggles that they, uh, that they put in the two seasons before where they amassed 198 points themselves. And maybe that's a necessary forfeit to bounce back as well. As yeah, it's not easy yeah. to win two titles in a row, yet alone three. Mm. Uh, I think Manchester United are the only team that have won the Premier League three years in a row. Mm. And that uh, was when, and they weren't winning it with ninety points at the right at the high end. No, they right? weren't. They yeah. weren't winning it with ninety. No, they weren't. Yeah. So uh, it was like seventy, eighty, or something mm. like that at the time. Mm. That was the general standard, mm. uh, which now would get you third at most. So. Yeah, I don't think Liverpool will get as many points this year. I don't, you know, I know you can't just people off one game, but there was something about them last night. They didn't quite have that thing they had last season. There was something they're not quite, not quite there. They looked well. They had, a, they had a firing Mo Salah. To be fair to them, I mean that's something that they did lack in in the restart. But uh, at the risk of it becoming another Liverpool fest, uh, we'll, we'll shift back to the to the team that we consider. Yeah, Manchester City, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I mean, I'll ask you a question, James, though. Why, I mean, you've you sort of uh, mentioned that you think they'll need another centre-back like a Koulibaly, like a Jimenez, uh, maybe even a Pau Torres. Um, why could uh, Ake and Laporte not be the main partnership for them? I think they feel like they're too similar. They're both left-footed. Mm. And Pep likes his centre-backs to be left and right footed. You know, he doesn't like we wouldn't want two left left footed centre backs playing together, ideally. Mm. I'm not sure Aki is a centre back who will play regularly to win you the league mm. yet. He might be, he might become that. Mm. He has the ability to become that, but I'm not sure he would be this season. Mm. Uh and yeah, he's not the kind of big guy in the air who wins headers, who wins, you know, who can help you defend from set pieces. Uh, who has ex- who's got experience? Uh, you know, the, the thing about Kulibali, like, I mean, he's the favorite, isn't he? To sign, mm. uh, so yeah, he's experienced and he's played in teams which play good football and pass out from the back, yeah. And he can do that, he can, yeah. he can be everything that they need at the back, uh, in terms of and him and him and 
the port would be a phenomenal partnership. I absolutely agree, to be fair, James, with you. I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate. But just one more on the devil's advocate, because I do think they should sign them. But also, you talk about experience and leadership from the back and someone who, who can play with his right foot. What about Fernandinho and Laporte? Because Fernandinho's drifted back into that position now and for the most part has done very well as a centre-back. Yeah, he uh, has. But yeah, I don't know whether he'd be able to do that over a season and play mm, every game, mm. especially because of his age. He could definitely do a job there and do well there, absolutely, mm. for a few games. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would want him to be their first choice centre-back. No. Uh, so, yeah, I don't. I think, I think, I think they will sign a centre-back yeah, come on centre back, and I think they'll probably they may sign an attacker, and yeah. that'll be a good window with Torres as well. Yeah, uh, I think the other thing, the other thing I'd like to say about Man City is Phil Foden this year. Mm. I mm. think is going to be like a signing for them. Mm. He's now Silver's gone. They haven't bought anyone to replace no. Silver, and Pep Guardiola has said publicly they're not going to because they have Phil Foden. And Phil Foden, yeah. I think this year is this could be a breakout year for him. He's going to get yeah. more opportunities. He's already looked good when he's played. Uh, yeah. in, in, uh, at the end of at the end of the season, he was. I mean, he played in the Champions League quarterfinal, I think. So, yeah. uh, so you know, it, I think he'll be getting. I think he'll he could he could really develop this year and be important as well. As yeah, I mean, hopefully he'll be writing better headlines than the ones that he's been involved yeah, in recently. Hope so, yes. I mean, yeah, but so. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. But you would you you would certainly hope so. I mean, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, again, I do agree with you, and almost as you say, it, coming in while David Silva's departing is quite handy. Um, I do think actually, I someone was asking me about top. This is a bit of a left field choice. Was always asking me about Golden Boot winners, and I do have a sneaky suspicion that Raheem Sterling could be a Golden Boot winner because. Um, people will say, oh, he's not a natural finisher and, you know, he, he, he misses a lot of chances. Well, Mo Salah, when he got 31 goals, Mo Salah's not a natural finisher. When Mo Salah goes through on goal, everyone says, oh, you expect the net to bulge. But if you watch him regularly for 90 minutes, Mo Salah will go through and miss quite a lot of good opportunities yeah. as, well as, as, as well as when he scores. He benefits because the team is centred around giving him most of the chances and then Mane gets a, Mane's shot accuracy and finishing ability is probably better than Salah's. He gets less chances and he scores a similar amount of goals. Mo yeah. Salah gets a lot more chances than anyone else, and he probably does end up finishing the top sco- goal scorer at Liverpool in most. You know, in the past few, he got nineteen last year, hit twenty the season before, over twenty the season before, and then he he had you know that blistering seventeen eighteen season. But it's all because he gets so many chances. And don't get me wrong, he's a phenomenal player. You have, you have to get in the positions. You have to keep the confidence level to keep shooting when you're missing. But I see similar shades with Raheem Sterling. I mean, you know, big Salah fans, big Liverpool fans will, obviously they don't like Sterling so much as Liverpool fans, but they will point out that Sterling will say, oh, he's he's not a good finisher. You know, he, he, he will never hit the, those heights. But then they'll say, they'll go, oh, but Mo Salah's a brilliant finisher. It's not true. In fact, the two players remind me so much of each other in the way that they play. Uh, Sterling maybe a little I don't know I, I think they're two world class wingers but Sterling uh, to, in the restart after the restart was outstand, in outstanding form yeah he missed that chance in the, in the Champions League but uh, I do think I mean he hit over he, in all competitions he hit over 20 last year I see no reason why uh, with a re-energised Manchester City a fully fit Kevin De Bruyne who was outstanding last year 
I think it could be his chance to get that accolade. I don't know what you think about that. He could do, yeah. Uh, he's definitely capable of it. I absolutely mm. believe that. Yeah, he's... Ryan Sterling is a, is a world-class player for me. Mm. Um, he's similar to Salah, isn't he? He is similar. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I actually... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah he is. Uh, and he's definitely improved by working with Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola has yeah. done a... That's one of the big success stories in terms of player development mm. under Pep Guardiola is, is Raheem yeah. Sterling. Because he, he's just become... Yeah, he's just gone to another level. Under, and Mikel Arteta deserves some credit. I mean, the people... In yeah, the, he in does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, he's, he's so... And he's, he's in his prime right now, mm. Sterling. So, yeah, there's a chance of that, for sure. There's going to be a lot of contenders for the Golden Boot this year. Mm. Yeah, you've got Sterling, you've got Salah... Uh, probably get a lot of goals. Harry Kane, Aubameyang, Aubameyang, yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of good attacking players in the Premier League, so yeah, (laughs) um, it's good. It's good. It's good. The Premier League is going to be good now because a lot more teams are playing attacking football, especially the top teams, and so you're going to see a lot more goals. And you've got a lot of quality attacking players in the Premier League now, so. Yeah, it's going to be a good uh, good time to watch the Premier League. I mean, Man City will be starting the season, we think, with a fully fit Sergio Aguero, which is always nice. Um, a big, that's a big boost for them, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, as well, they, they did pretty well without him post uh, in the season restart. Gabriel Jesus was, you know, I, I still think he's a very good player. And uh, they've got goals all over that team. I mean, do we think, just before we move on to Man United, there's a chance that Kevin De Bruyne could retain his Premier, Premier League Player of the Year award? Because to me, I see... We talk yeah. about Salah world class, the other world class. I think De Bruyne is top five in the world kind of player. Never mind position in the world. Absolutely, yeah, he's one of the best players in the world. He could even be the best player in the Premier League. So yeah, oh, he is. I think he uh, is. for me, uh, I think, and he was Player of the Year last year. Probably, you know, he's he's, he's world class. Yeah, uh, and if he has a good season, Man City will have a good season because mm. he scores goals, he makes goals. He's also, quite a strong character. I think he's yeah. isn't he the captain now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's quite. He'll be important in that respect too. Yeah, I think that will help him raise his game. Mm. So yeah, and a, he, he's a winner. He's very driven. You can see yeah, that's yeah. recently. He's very, very driven and focused in terms of winning back the Premier League mm-hmm. and winning the Champions League as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think Man City will. And we said it already, Man City will win the league this year. Yeah, I'd say... Most people, uh, most people think that. So When I think about it, Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Lewandowski, De Bruyne, I think that would be my five. Yeah, they'd be incredible. Incredible. Oh, I mean, you know, other other options as well are available, but that would that is a scintillating five. Um, some team, yeah. Yeah, OK. I mean, on the other side of Manchester, it's also looking OK, I think. Um, they... They managed to get the Champions League after a um, after a bit of a struggle uh, in the in the start of the season. Manchester United, post or pre, should I say, pre Bruno Fernandes and the return of Paul Pogba, it looked like they weren't going anywhere. Yeah, Bruno Fernandes comes in, Paul Pogba returns from injury, life's all good again. I mean, to be fair, as I've, I've said this many times, to Oliver Solskjaer, when the Man United midfield, when he was at the start of the season, when Pogba got injured. His main sources of creation were Andreas Pereira, uh, Jesse Lingard, uh, Fred, although Fred was a bit deep, Fred actually did very well. But, you know, Scott McTominay, Fred with a double pivot. I think Fred's actually still a very good, useful player, but and, and McTominay to an extent. But again, would they be in the other uh, top six double pivots? Fred, maybe. 
Um, not sure about McTominay. But in front of them, you've got Pereira, you've got Lingard, uh, you've sold Lukaku, uh, who was the only natural goal scorer that Man United had before <laughs> that, you know, at the start of that season. Uh, got rid of Sanchez and never replaced Sanchez either when he went was found out on loan. So you get rid of one of the best in the past, you know, previous five years, one of the best Premier League wingers for Arsenal is out on loan. Uh, <laughs> Lukaku, one of the best strikers in the Premier League, been sold. Uh, yep. So uh, you don't replace either of them directly in the transfer market. Paul uh, mm-hmm. Pogba gets injured, so you lose any. He was the only player that was genuinely world class in terms of his creation in midfield. Uh, so he was. He thought, I think, Solskjaer. You know, and, and, and just before I know this is a bit. This is sounding like a bit of a, a rant, but it is in many ways. I mean, he had to also bring through. He has to fast track. Uh, Brandon Williams because of injuries to Luke Shaw because they didn't have sufficient cover so he fast-tracked Brandon Williams to the first team and he also had to fast-track well I think I think he fast-tracked Scott McTominay to being a regular at the club um, and he also fast-tracked um, uh, Daniel James really who was who was brought in to be a squad player and he was playing every week so mm. I think you know and Mason Greenwood of course Mason Greenwood is yes. now very well so I think he was fighting the first half of the season with two hands tied behind his back in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, the they fact brought, that they did what they did. Uh, yeah, go on, Jim. They brought, they brought well. They brought well last season overall. They brought um, Maguire and Wambasaka and, and Daniel James is a useful signing. And then obviously Fernandez in in January uh, transformed their season. But if they'd not signed Fernandez, they would not have. Finish in the top four. I don't well, think. Well, no, but to me, that, that midfield was so key to what they. Like, he won all those penalties, and he he, cre- he gave them a different option creatively. Uh, if we know. look at the creation before that, though, in terms of number ten, in terms of deep line creation, Fred aside, I quite like Fred, but it was. You could probably name eight or nine more creative teams than Man United. There was nothing yeah. creative about it. It was industry. Uh, Scott McTominay, to be fair to him, I think he's a, he's, you know, I, I quite like him. I think he shows a lot of heart, passion, desire uh, when he plays. And that's all you could, that's the bare minimum you can ask to play for Man United. He does all of that. But yep. you can't ask him to be a primary source of creation. And Andreas Pereira, is a, he's got the promise. Well, we always say he's got the potential, really. Many years we've said he's got flashes of brilliance within him. But you can't ask him to be the primary source of creation. Jesse Lingard used to be in the, uh, not being the primary, you know, mm. thorn in a side, but but being the sort of the third or you know the almost forgotten man who chips in with goals. Can't ask him to be the primary creator for Manchester United. So he was going, as I say, at it. Yes, they did sign Bruno Fernandes. Yes, he transformed the fortunes. Paul Pogba coming back to transform the fortunes, and they they were fortunate to bring them on board. But they entered that season having signed, as you say, Wan-Bissaka and Maguire. So they strengthened the defence. But they took that those steps forward and then they went straight backwards and probably took another step back because they told two of their best attacking players in the Premier League over the past five years, or they got rid of them, Sanchez on loan, and they didn't replace them with it with anyone else. They relied on what they had beforehand, which of course has reaped its rewards now. But that's not just an instant success. You know, Martial's improved, Rashford's improved, Greenwood's come through when he's doing really well. Brandon Williams has met is now a viable first team player and a first team option. Scott McTominay, you know, event, you know, improved his passing, got better at the at, in his understanding of, of of playing at the top level. 
is now a backup option. You know, so many have improved, I think, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, you know, and, and I think he deserves a lot of credit there because imagine if Jose Mourinho had that team. Well, he did have that team. And there was, it, it was, you know, they were constantly saying, oh, it's not really good enough. They've left themselves short in these positions. And then when Solskjaer gets that window, they improved those and then left themselves short up front. So to stay level-headed, to stay, to keep supporting his players, to to keep going when the adversity is hitting him right in the face, I think he deserves uh, all the... He deserves more praise than he's getting, let's just say that, because I think he gets a lot of disrespect um, on on social media from fans. And I'll tell you, with, with the way Tottenham played against Everton this weekend in the first game, you know, that's what that had shades of how Man United played under Jose Mourinho at times where there oh, yeah, wasn't really yeah. much of an attacking plan. I mean, look, so they don't play like that under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They at least look like they got, they're having a go, look a bit yeah, more he, open. But He's done a good job there. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's laid the foundations there uh, of a new team. He has, uh, he's got rid of this, he's got rid of a lot of dead wood. They've still got a lot of dead wood, but... Mm. He's got rid. I mean, things like people like uh, Sanchez, for example. You know, yeah. he's got rid of, rid of him. I uh, mean, he had, he had to go, James, didn't he? But as uh, I said, yeah, he did. He absolutely did. But, yeah. but to did. get rid of him and not to bring in a direct replacement, it still weakens the boat, doesn't it? It still does yeah. weaken the boat. Well, that's what they're looking for a right winger right now. And you know, obviously, yeah. I was talking about Jaden yeah. Sancho, and that could yeah. still happen. And yeah, I, I absolutely still could happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. If it did happen, that pretty much to me. Would, along with Van der Beek, which is another good signing, I think, good player, uh, and strengthens that midfield as well. Mm. Uh, they get, they get him, then they they'll probably finish in the top four. Yeah, because I mean, Sancho is potentially a world class player. He will yeah. score goals. He will make goals. He will. He's a very big threat. Uh, so, and they, and their attacking options will then be very very good. Uh, they. Mm. Only then be kind of probably a centre back away uh, from you know being more competitive right at the top. So uh, yeah, and now they've got more comp- competition in goal this season as well. Henderson mm. staying, signing a new contract. Mm. Not sure how that's going to work. We've talked mm. about that elsewhere, yeah. but that will probably improve them potentially in goal. However, that works out. Whoever it is in goal, mm. uh, they will. Yeah, so I, they will, I think they'll improve this year. It depends if they sign Sancho. If they don't sign Sancho, for whatever reason, and they sign another winger, he won't be as good. Unless they, you know, they, they won't, anyone else won't be as good as, as him, probably. Yeah, the, the other people mentioned, I think, were Gareth Bale, maybe on loan or something, or mm. uh, Douglas Costa. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think either of them would have the same impact as Sancho. No. Gareth Bale's still a very good player if he's focused, if he's at it. Uh, but he's not at his he's not in his not at his peak anymore. You know, his kind of best years of behind him. He'd still be a very good signing. He'd still still probably do well for them. Yeah. Still score goals, still make goals, you know, still have good games. But he Sancho is kind of a long term signing who will just continue to improve. Well, I think Van, Van Der Beek is as well, isn't he? And he comes in. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. He's a good player, yeah. And he comes in and, and, and he can play as uh, a box-to-box or a number 10. And I think, I mean, I saw Bruno Fernandes in many games and I thought, 
he looked even when he was he was chipping in with goals usually from the penalty spot and there were some games towards the end of the restart where i was thinking he looks dead on his feet he can't play the correct pass his pass you know when he first came in he was he was playing some amazing passes and opening up doors which previously weren't available to open in, in that manchester united team but then uh, he's finishing the season. His his passes are going astray. It looks like he's trying too hard. He's making giving the ball away really cheaply. And again, penalties sort of mask that fact a little bit. But he just looked a little bit tired. Now, when you've got Van der Beek on as well, now you've got someone who can come on with twenty minutes to go if Fernandez isn't doing that well, or even start again when Fernandez is tired or needs a rest or should could be rotated out. And same with Paul Pogba. I mean, you've got some, Van der Beek has also played as in a deeper position. So there's no reason why if Paul Pogba's not quite at the race or is feeling a bit tired, then Van der Beek can come in and do a do- job in that position uh, from deeper in midfield. What I don't necessarily see, uh, if they keep with the 4-2-3-1 that they usually play, uh, is uh, Van der Beek, Pogba and uh, Fernandes all playing together because there isn't really a balance for that. What it requires then is Paul Pogba to be the deep defensive midfielder. And I don't necessarily think he's got the defensive-minded uh, capabilities to do that role. I think he's much better with someone like Matic next to him or even Fred, who can do the do, do more of the um, the defensive work in terms of tackles or, or, or so on. Mm. But um, yeah. I think it's um, I, I think it's a very good signing still. And I, it's what I talk about, depth. And then, you know, I look at um, other teams, for example. Uh, I mean, other players, like you said, Jadon Sancho. I think Jadon Sancho is very good for... Or depth as well, because if Greenwood needs a rest or needs to be dropped, you can have Jaden Sancho in place uh, in his place, uh, and then Greenwood, I think, will be the full guy if he does come. Uh, but it's not just Mason Greenwood who it could be, because if Martial needs a rest or needs to be rotated, Greenwood could go up front and Sancho could go on that exactly, side, yeah. and oh, then yeah. you've got Marcus Rashford as well. Sancho is right footed can chop in on his right foot from the left hand side. You could play Greenwood, and you could play uh, Martial up front as well. So I think it's all about depth. And, and, and making sure that you're available to rotate and keep everyone fresh because yep. and you we, we both saw United James at the end of restart towards the end it was becoming a bit stale and if they'd have played another two or three games for that Premier League season in quick congestion like it was you know I, I don't I don't know if they'd have got over the line because it was full the wheels were slowly coming off a bit weren't they, they needed yeah, I mean Leicester fell apart kind of towards the end as well which helped them but uh yeah you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, it, you know, they, they showed they needed more depth because they were playing a, basically the same team mm. every week, and they had to rotate. They did, he decided to rotate in the cup mm. semi final. Yeah, of course, yeah. They they absolutely didn't they didn't perform in that game. But but uh, uh, he course, needed to do it though, didn't he? he needed, no, he needed to do yeah. it. You're right. He did. Yeah. He didn't have a choice. No, uh, I'm not criticizing him for for doing it because he had to do it. But, I, I, uh, but that showed. I mean, if you have, mm. if he'd had like Van der Beek, and if he'd had like Sancho, a Sancho yeah. in his squad, then it's totally that that game is totally different potentially. Mm. You can rotate players and players stay fresh. I mean, I and think it, it, in defensive midfield, James, as well, you've got Fred and Matic, who are both viable options. I think Matic is someone for me who I'd be thinking, right, I'm playing a big yeah. team, I'm going to play Matic. I think he's the better option, but he's also older and he's not quite as mobile as Fred. Who's a bit more industrial, a bit younger, a bit more exuberance, but probably less capable as a top-end defensive midfielder when you compare him to Matic, who I think really, you know, has revitalised under Solskjaer. But that's another example, really, of good rotation, mm. having two options like that available. 
And when I talk about the importance of getting Sancho, I think it's really important, or someone of that ilk, because I think attacking variety is a bit more important than defensive variety. Because you can play defenders a lot, and it's they aren't asked to come up with new ideas or try new things or put lots of energy in. It's a concentrating thing. And, and often defences that stay, that, you know, are consistently together, build relationships, and they, you know, I agree with you. I think they need a centre-back. But I think what they have there is okay. I mean, I certainly don't think it was... I actually think Chelsea's back four of last season was worse than Man United's back four of last season, for example. Oh, yeah. They needed well. more surgery. I think United's... I don't think. I don't necessarily think it is now with Chilwell and Thiago Silva, but I still think United's back four is okay. The clean sheets show that. And they got that many clean sheets with David De Gea, you know, being a bit iffy between the sticks through the whole season. So they aren't a terrible defence, despite what some people would have you think. So that's why I think... From my point of view, they're looking at Sancho as well. Obviously, they've got Van der Beek, so they can rotate attacking options at will. And then in defence, they might try and last the season without investing heavily in the area. I do think that's where they'll end up being a little bit short, but yeah. may- maybe it's something they can look at next season. I don't know what, what you think on that. And maybe Henderson also makes a difference if perhaps, you know, we've seen how yeah. commanding goalkeepers that shout the defenders make a difference we've talked about it before well Henderson's a shouter and he's also quite good with his feet and he's on the back of a really good season at Sheffield United so if De Gea isn't performing does he make the back four better? Henderson? Yeah I think he could when he reaches his potential um, for sure yeah Uh, and yeah having competition for places is good yeah Um, especially in goalkeeping goal it tends to make goalkeepers better yeah uh, so, so where do United think, finish, James? Where will United finish? Yeah, yeah. It depends on who they. It depends on whether they sign Sancho. If they sign Sancho, they'll finish fourth. Yeah. If they don't, then it, it they could, could still, still be, be fourth. fourth. Yeah. It could still be fourth, but it will be a lot closer. I agree uh, with you. I'm I'm fourth. I'm fourth. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but I'm I'm kind of my prediction is fourth. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that summarises that perfectly. I mean, that was a, just inside the 15 minutes, I think, maybe 16 minutes of football, but I don't know. Yeah, no, that was a nice, nice summary of all, all the teams, sorry, that we are expecting to, uh, well, not expected, that we'll be playing next next week. Maybe I suppose it is expected. We don't know what's going on anymore in this crazy, crazy coronavirus world. That's a nice summary of all the teams. If you've not heard our preview of the other teams because it got lost in some kind of black hole from last week, I, I blame the editors. But the new editors are really good and uh, I, I love you all so much. So, yeah, I mean, put that up. It will be on Spotify. It will be on iTunes. It will maybe be on YouTube. It will also be on Buzzsprout. So lots and lots of different platforms to listen to this on. Uh, be sure to keep following us, following us listening to us uh, and moving with us as we evolve into different projects, different facets of the podcast. Uh, we started out as t- the Transfer New Central podcast. We're now the 15 Minutes of Football uh, TMC podcast. Uh, and uh, we hope that you're enjoying all the content that's coming your way. So we'll see you next week with um, another uh, look at probably some more transfers, James. Yes. See you next week, everyone. See you next week, everyone. Take care.